turn, if you would, to Ephesians 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. It's good to behold our sovereign God. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He knows every hair on your head. And the days that were fashioned for you have been numbered. He's in total control. So we can rest in that reality as we just sit and marinate on what we just sung. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless his word and minister to our souls and glorify his name. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to sit under your word. Lord, what a privilege. We have the freedom to do it. And we have a precious word from you. Ephesians chapter 6 is just so rich and so pregnant with truth to change our life, to shape our worldview and our understanding of reality and life in this world as we live it. And I pray, Father, that you would minister to our hearts, that your spirit would come upon each and every one of us right now, that we would get encouragement and help from your word, and that you would bring about a blessing that you would bring about a powerful, effectual work in our hearts, that we would be strengthened in the Lord and in the power of his might. Oh, Lord, do a work in our midst. Help us, Lord. We are dependent on you. And we ask that your spirit would rain down a word for us and that you would empower me and help me, Lord, to get out of the way. Put a door or guard over the door of my mouth that I might not sin against you in word or deed, but that I would be filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with a love for your people and filled with a joy in this word that you have inspired for us and for our edification right here and right now. And I pray that you would help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So it's about two decades ago, about 20 years ago, I was driving on Marine Corps Air Station, San Diego, Miramar. I was driving to work and it was one of those cool days. There's frost actually on the car and there's not normally frost in Southern California, um, but it was one of those days. And there was nothing ominous about it. There was nothing surprising about it. It was just an ordinary morning, and I'm a little groggy headed to work. And I can remember exactly what I experienced as I walked through the doors, and I looked, and there was just a, a sobriety and a seriousness over everything. Because little did I know that our world was going to change that day. That September 11th, when I walked in and I saw anger in people's hearts or on their faces, I saw a TV screen that was replaying images of a plane flying into a building or two buildings, many buildings. 
and there was a sense of mobilization in the military as our squadron began to scramble fighters because what had turned out to be an ordinary morning all of a sudden turned into a battle with an enemy that we didn't know where they were coming from. We didn't know what was happening. We just knew we were under attack. We knew that, that what was happening that day is we had an enemy. And the war on terrorism began, right? And if you remember, we were in sort of a, a, a bit of a panic because we didn't know when the next terrorist attack was going to come. And so they locked down that base. And I remember the, the, the sense of urgency and the wartime mentality that shifted. Now, military uh, people, especially Marines, have a more wartime mentality almost always, but there was something distinctly different that day because we realized that the, the battle was real, that we weren't just training anymore, we were in the midst of it. And ultimately, it was with an enemy that we couldn't really see. We just knew that there was attacks happening. That at that point, there wasn't intelligence about what was going on. We just knew the Pentagon got hit and the World Trade Center got hit and all these different places and, 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 and flights, you know, crashing into the ground. And we were at war. And ultimately, I want to tell you guys that we are in a spiritual battle much like that. We're in a conflict Right now, the Bible says that we are in a cosmic battle with the forces of evil, that our enemy is an invisible, unseen enemy that is afoot, and he has an army of darkness that he mobilizes at his disposal to undo the souls of men, to destroy families, to wreck marriages, to oppress the weak to enslave people to drugs, alcohol, addiction to substances. We are the most medicated nation, most addicted to so many different things. And the devil is afoot working in every form of evil that you can think of in this world. It has its origin, it has its locus, in demonic influence. And that's what this passage in Ephesians 6 unfolds for us. It's as if the Apostle Paul wants you and I to know that the very last thing he's going to tell his church from a prison cell, he knew it was spiritual war because he was in prison for the gospel. And he wants to tell them, I want to tell you to get ready for the battle. There's a spiritual battle that you are all immersed in. Everybody sitting here has been engaged. And whether you realize it or not, the enemy is afoot in your life to ruin you and to separate you from God, to deceive you, to lie to you, to tell half-truths, to hide the full truth, about who God is, what His plan is in this world, and how you fit into it. And the book of Ephesians is all about getting at that. You open, boom, with gospel realities. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed you in every, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. 
He's chosen you in Christ Jesus. He's predestined you in love for adoption into His family. These are, these are blood-bought truths that if you're a child of God, the Spirit of God is bearing witness with your spirit. Yes, these are the realities of the Christian life. You are forgiven and you're brought into the family of God if you know Christ. And the devil means to blind us from those realities. He means to... to, to circumvent and destroy and, and, and cause distraction from the realities of spiritual truth in your life as Christians. And you got a bullseye on your back because you are a Christian. The devil already has the world. The Bible says that in, in 1 John 5.19 that the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one. It says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were once dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, which is the devil. Before we knew Christ, we were just trotting along under the spell of the evil one, under his sway, without knowing. And then God woke us up. We were children of wrath by nature, blind to the truths of God. And then uh, Ephesians 2 and chapter or verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive. Immeasurable riches are yours in Christ Jesus. And you're meant to know that and you're meant to taste that. And the spiritual war that we are in, the enemy is seeking to distract you from those precious gospel realities and promises. He's lying. He was, uh, uh, Jesus said he was the father of lies. He's been lying from the beginning. He's a murderer. He's been murdering from the beginning. That's his heart. Now, sometimes we can make some errors when we think about spiritual warfare as Christians. And C.S. Lewis once talked about, you know, we can make two errors. Number one, we can think the devil doesn't exist at all. And the demons love that because then they can operate just unhindered and you're blinded to the spiritual reality that you're in a war, that you're up to your neck in spiritual warfare. But we can also make too much of the demons and become fascinated with them and become sort of attracted in an unhealthy way. And the devil is under every nook and cranny. You know, we start to, to, to say, oh, well, there's a demon of this and a demon of that and a demon of this, and you've got to exercise the demon. And I wouldn't be doing the things I do if I didn't have this demon inside me. And it's, it's some way of kind of excusing your own propensity to sin to lie, to cheat, to steal, and saying, I just got to get that demon out of me. So we often blame the devil for our own sin, but make no mistake, he is the tempter. He's the deceiver. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's that dragon of old that with his tail, he swept one third of the angels down with him in a fall, a real fall from heaven where he exalted himself above the throne of God and said, I will be like the most high. 
and he was cast out of heaven. And he has been wreaking havoc in this world ever since, and he is the enemy of our souls. And so we have to have a sobriety as we approach Ephesians chapter 6 because it's meant for our help and our good and our edification. It's meant to remind us that we are at war and we've got to have wartime mentality. And I want to give you three truths that you can be helped to navigate the war the cosmic battle that we are in with the forces of darkness. I want to give you three tools. Number one, we need to know our spiritual enemy. Number two, we need to be strong in the Lord and know we have supernatural power in Him. And number three, we need to stand in the armor of God. And we're going to see those right from this text. We're going to get after them and, and, and be helped. So I want you to look for those. Look for those like little anchors as we're walking through this text. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm stand you seen a theme there stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one as they come at you and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. That's just powerful, life-shaping reality. He wants you to see it. He wants you to see the, see, see the battle you are engaged in. He wants you, number one, to know that we have a real spiritual enemy, that malignant forces, demonic forces are at work in our world. Look at verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is like, it's not like Satan is sending the Little League, you know, JV demon squad after us. 
These are mobilized military language. The rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness. The enemy has a battle strategy. He's been studying human uh, uh, tempt, he's been studying how to tempt humans and human sin and their behavior patterns for thousands of years. And he knows how to trip us up. And he has person-specific strategies to undo each of us. He knows us better than we know ourselves, most likely. So what are we to do in the face of that? What does that cause us to do? We're going to see how to get equipped to deal with this. But we have to understand our enemy more fully. We have to know that he's more sinister than Osama bin Laden. He's more uh, brutal than Hitler. He's more surprising and more subtle than domestic terrorism and internet scammers, right? He's afoot in this world and behind all kinds of evil. We need to understand, verse 11, that he's a schemer, that he has wiles, that he has stratagems. So let's get acquainted a little bit with this. Genesis chapter 3 reminds us that the devil has been scheming and lying from the beginning. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? Did God actually say? I mean, does God really mean what he says? He didn't really say that. He's not serious about his word. You don't have to, you don't have to worry about his word. Believe my word. That's where sin begins. With the temptation to believe another word, another voice. And the voice of satanic deception is all around us. In false religions, in talk shows, in media streaming, in all sorts of things. It comes to us in the form of entertainment. It comes to us in the, to in the form of the novels and the things we read and love. They're all communicating an agenda. And you have to ask yourself, is it God's agenda? Is it something that's saying true things about God or lies? True things about who you are or lies? How many marriages have been ruined because the dabbling in the romantic novels started something and it turned into an emotional relationship that gave way to adultery. That's how it starts. Another word enters in. How many are enslaved to pornography because they walked in the supermarket and they did not guard their eyes at the tabloid journals and the things that are just bombarding us with images everywhere. Guard your hearts because the enemy is afoot to bring about temptations and snares. He's a schemer. But we also know that Jesus taught us how to fight the enemy. What did he do? When he was tempted in the wilderness and he was tempted, are you, you going to command the stones to become bread? The devil said to him, 40 days, 40 nights is a long time to go without food. Surely you're the son of God and you could make some, you can make some bread out of these stones. And he was tempting 
the Son of God to use His divine authority to shortcut the identity of Jesus as the Son who would totally obey the Father, who would live in our place, who would stand doing what Adam couldn't do in the garden and what Israel failed to do in the wilderness, Jesus does in the wilderness. And He says, you shall not live by bread alone, but by every word out of the mouth of God. You want to deal with satanic schemes of deception? You go to the Word of God. Jesus set the pattern. He's the one who defeated the enemy in the wilderness. But we need to know that the devil not only lies, but he blinds and controls people. Ephesians chapter 2 says, We're dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked according to the course of this world. Following who? Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. So the, the devil's spirit is at work in controlling, manipulating, and deceiving those who are lost, laboring in unbelief, living in this world, caught up in his agenda, caught up in his program, and they don't even know it. They're following him like the Pie Piper, right? They're following him like the fiddler on the roof. If you've ever seen that movie, you just followed wherever it leads. Ultimately, we have been given the reality shaping truth of Scripture to help us see the enemy more clearly. 2 Corinthians 4.3 says that the gospel is veiled to unbelievers. It's veiled to those who are perishing. And in their case, the God of this world, who is Satan, little g, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It's as if the devil is blinding people from seeing the truth about Jesus. That's the kind of spiritual conflict. And that's the kind of enemy that we have. He blinds. He deceives. He's, we, we, we learned in the parable of the sower, he's the one who comes and snatches the seed that was scattered, which is the word of God that falls by the wayside. And the birds come, which Jesus said was Satan, snatching the word right out of people's hearts. That's why we need to pray, oh God, let there be light in people's hearts that the, the, the gospel would shine and that they would behold the glory of Jesus and see what they don't see. Lord, say, let there be light, just like you did in creation. Genesis chapter 1, the Lord said, let there be light, and there was light. That's what has to happen in the human heart because Satan is blinding the minds of unbelievers. First Peter 5 says he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, I don't know a whole lot about lions, but I, know, I do know here's what they do. You just see it on the National Geographic, right? You see the lions come and they don't go after the pack of gazelle or whatever they're hunting. They look for the one that's straying, the one that looks weak, the one that's kind of moved away from the pack and they get on it and pounce and the lion devours. And that's the picture we get, this imagery of Satan who's actually 
looking, searching, seeking for those who strain to devour them. 1 Peter 5. That's why it's so important to be committed to a local church, a body of believers, where people know you, where you can be prayed for, where you're getting the word, that reality-shaping clarity every week. You're just getting the word of God. You're getting help. You're getting encouragement. The Spirit of God is moving on your heart to illuminate. And you're aware when the lion comes. And Peter says, resist him firm in your faith. When the lion comes, what do you do? You resist him in the faith. So we're seeing this reality of the devil scheming to get a foothold in our lives. In Ephesians chapter 4, if you just turned over to chapter 4 and read verse 26, you would see one of the ways he does this. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Did you catch that? When we are angry and we remain in unrepentant anger and we let the sun go down and we let many suns go down on that anger and we stay bitter, the devil gets in and he has a foothold over your life. That's how he gets in. In the church, the way the devil gets in is he sows discord. He's the accuser of the brethren. How many churches have split over dissension, over discord, over something that started with anger and you did not deal with it, but the sun kept going down and down and down until it created a rift. That's how the enemy gets in. And we're meant, it's, it's like Paul wants you to see how this works out. Don't seethe in anger and bitterness and leave it unchecked. For that's the way the enemy gets in. Listen to Paul's words to Timothy, a young pastor. He's just trying to tell him how to deal with difficult situations and sometimes difficult people. And it instructs us about the devil. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents, with gentleness, and God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And here it is. And they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Did you realize that? The devil can ensnare, capture, and Timothy's being instructed, be patient. Be patient with these brothers and sisters. Be patient. Love them. Communicate. Don't argue. Don't quarrel. Maybe that's a word we need to hear. Don't argue. Don't quarrel. Be patient. Be loving. God may yet grant repentance. God may grant them to come to their senses that they may escape the snare of the evil one. Some of you are so discouraged because people in your families just are so far from God. And you feel like, I've got no hope. They're under the control of the enemy. God may 
perhaps grant repentance, prevail in prayer for them. And keep being gentle, a gentle servant, not quarrelsome. But communicating truth in love. Look at verses 11 and 12 one more time. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but... Here it is. We wrestle against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Ultimately, our battle is not with flesh and blood. Sometimes it feels like it's with flesh and blood, doesn't it? Sometimes you feel like, well, I've got a very real human enemy right on the other end of that conflict. But Paul is saying, what you need to know, what you need to see, is that there is a demonic reality afoot. There are malignant forces, spiritual forces, authorities, and powers, and spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly realms that are working in and behind the scenes to create conflict and to fan the flames of conflict. Have you been in an argument before that got so bad that you didn't even know how it began? You couldn't even remember. But you're just mad, seething. Might be a demonic thing. Might be something that the enemy's getting a foothold. Might be something that started over something so silly and you've held a grudge. And God would set you free by this teaching to remind you the battle's not with flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers. Sometimes you got to stop the argument and say, hey, the devil's getting a foothold here and we both need to repent. This is powerful truth. I mean, this hits us where we're at, where we live in everyday life. This is not like, you know, so, some sort of like fantasy realm that we're talking about that doesn't impact your life, doesn't impact your marriage, doesn't impact your friendships, your work. Man, the enemy is always seeking to do his work in the spheres of life in which you actually live every day. And you have to be wise to his strategies. And Paul is training us to realize that we wrestle. This is hand-to-hand -hand combat language. The idea of wrestling. Later we're going to see that there's a sword involved. And this is short sword. Kind of Roman short sword. Only two feet. You got to get close. You got to get the word of God involved. You got to get in the fight. Some of you are snoozing peacefully when you've got a war going on around you. Wake up. Wake up to the battle that you're in. Because God wants to move in that. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to give you eyes to see. So let's get after that second truth. This second reality that we need the strength of God. We need the supernatural power of God. Look at it in verse 10. This is right out of the Bible. This is the God-breathed, inerrant Word of God saying to us, finally, 
I want you to know something. The most important thing. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Be strong in the Lord. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 20 says. And that was a psalm where the Israelites... They were very used to trusting in their resources sometimes. They would count their military might. They would count their chariots. And God's like, no, 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 no. Some trust in that kind of stuff. Some trust in their ability, their ingenuity, their wisdom, their loftiness, their power, their strength. But we will trust in the Lord. We will be strong in the Lord, not our own strength. Paul is not saying be strong in yourself. Be true to yourself. Do it in your own strength. Pull up your bootstraps and get it done. That's how you fight Satan. No, he said, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And this conjures an image of Isaiah uh, where the Lord is our warrior. The Lord is the one dressed in all this armor in Isaiah. He's the one dressed in the belt of of truth and the the breastplate of righteousness standing in battle. Now the imagery is going to come over to us that we got to be strong in the Lord. And He's going to flesh out what that means by getting the armor of God on our back. But we're still dealing right here with the strength that is a supernatural reality in the Christian life. And so many of us, if we're honest, are not living in the power of the Lord. We're not living in the strength that God provides. We're getting up in the morning and we're just getting beat down by our day because we didn't prepare ourselves. We didn't get battle ready. We didn't seek God on our knees. We haven't prayed and labored over lost souls around us. We haven't prayed about that conflict. We haven't prayed about that reality that's crushing your marriage. But God would have you to be strong in the Lord. Begin your day on your knees. Seek the Lord. And He will strengthen you. And notice that verse 10 says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. This is a mighty God. Mighty power. Sometimes we talk so much about the armor of God that we don't realize we got to trust in the God of the armor. You got to trust in the God of the armor first. You got to be strong in the Lord, in His power, in His strength, in what the gospel has purchased for you on the cross that you have been given the Holy Spirit that indwells you. Do you realize that, Christian? You have treasure in jars of clay? That you have treasure in your life? That the Spirit of God can empower you to do things that are impossible on your own? Reconciliation in marriage or among friendships or among family does not happen naturally. It's got to be supernatural. And God will work that in your hearts. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. It's powerful. We, uh, we bought a ring system when we got our new home and the ring system is, is really cool you can like you know it's got a couple cameras you look at the videos and and you can watch your house from afar and it's kind of a neat little security system but it's got one drawback you gotta battery power the cameras so everything's going strong when there's power in those batteries 
But all of a sudden, we've noticed that sometimes, you know, we go to check something and the, the, the camera's dead. And there's no power. And no warning <laughs> about the lack of power. And we need the power of God manifesting in our life. Or we're going to be like a dead camera. No security, no strength, no help to endure, no hope. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Paul prays like that in Ephesians. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 3 and you look at verse 14, this is his prayer for the Ephesian church. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened. Uh oh. There's that language with what with power through his spirit in your inner being or your inner man. The real you getting power from the Holy Spirit. Chapter one reminds us that this is the resurrection power of Christ. The very power that raised Jesus out of the grave is at work in you, Christian. But you've got to ask for it. You've got to plead for it. You've got to ask God to empower you. And the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe will be at work according to his great might. The same power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That can be at work in you. That's Ephesians chapter 1. And that's really what it means to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We got to pray and seek the Lord. I'm reminded of the Book of Acts, the seven sons of Sceva. These were a couple of Jewish exorcists who were not Christians, but they were going around trying to exorcise demons out of individuals that were demon-possessed. And so they would go around and they would say stuff like this to the demon-possessed people and to the demons. They would say, we adjure you by the power of Christ who Paul preaches. Come out of him. And the demons would look at him and they would say, I know Jesus, and I've heard of Paul, but I don't know you. And they beat those guys to a pulp, and they ran out naked. Now, I'm not, you know, real keen on understanding how the fight works, but I know when you're running away naked, that's not a good thing. That sounds like you lost. So ultimately, they ran out naked. Because they didn't have the power of the Lord at work in them. They were proclaiming the power of Jesus' name based on what Paul had said, but they didn't believe it themselves. Just, I, mean, I think Jesus is powerful, but I, the, the guy Paul preached? Yeah, that guy. Let's do, it, let's do it in his name. Okay, good, 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 good. No, be strong in the Lord. He's your Lord. He saved you out of darkness into, your marvelous, into his marvelous light. He's empowered you. You have been bought at a price. You are not your own. You are Christ. You're a new creation in Christ. Behold, the old things have gone and the new has come. Live in the power of Christ. I'm reminded of Zechariah. He said, you know, 
we can trust in all sorts of things, but it's not by power, nor by might, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. Not human power, not human might, but the power of the Spirit at work in you. That is the promise for all believers. That's how we fight the battle. So how do we depend on that? How, do, how, how does that look? How does that flesh out? Because some of this can seem kind of like ethereal, and it's like, yeah, I know what you're saying, Pastor. I get it, but I don't get it. And this is where we get to point number three. This is what it looks like. Truth number three. We stand in the armor of God, which means we got to put it on. Verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Or verse 13. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace and in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Man, those are powerful, powerful, pregnant truths and we could spend days on them but we're going to just kind of go light speed thinking about this reality and the first thing i want you to realize is that it says put on the whole armor of god the whole armor not a few pieces the whole thing you need to have the whole thing and you need to put it on and the language is like dressing yourself and one of the things i realized um, having young children and just observing that any children you have like under five don't observe the rules of clothing very well, right? So they would run around naked if you let them and it, they're going to dress themselves in, you know, a big old jacket when it's 100 degrees out and a t-shirt when it's like a, a snowy day in the winter, dead of winter. They don't know how to dress themselves. They've got to be dressed. And some of us are running around naked spiritually, just totally given to the elements around us, to the, the spiritual attacks. And, and, and God's saying in this text, get clothed, put some spiritual armor on, put some clothes on, get the, the armor of God on your back and on your life. Put on the whole armor of God. I'm reminded of the hymn. You know, we put on the armor. Put on each piece with prayer. But what is the, the, the armor of God? A lot of times we say it and we don't really know what it is. The armor of God is just nothing less than the gospel fleshed out. Every single piece of armor is a synonym for the gospel, an aspect of the gospel at work. Look at this. If, if, if you don't believe me, look at verse 14 and just see it pregnant with these truths. Stand, right? Stand, therefore, 
having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness of the gospel of peace, and in all circumstances take up the shield of faith, which is able to quench or extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. One writer uh, put it this way when he was talking about the armor. He said, as long as I'm inside the gospel, I experience all the protection I need from the powers of evil that rage against me. It is for this reason that the Bible tells me to take it up and to put on the whole armor of God. And the pieces of the armor it tells me to put on are merely synonyms for the gospel. Translated from the Greek, they are the salvation, the justification, the truth, the gospel of peace, the faith, the word of God. So put on the belt of truth, brothers and sisters. Be a people of the book. The truth of God's word. We are a people of the book. We believe the book. We read the book. We meditate on the book. We proclaim the book. We live by the living book. And it's said in verse 17 to be the sword of the spirit. It's our only offensive weapon. Or I'll argue prayer is one of them too. But this is our offense. That's why Jesus could say, you can't live by bread alone, but every word out of the mouth of God. Jesus is the Word of God. The Word made flesh and dwelt among us. The belt of truth and the sword of the Spirit point to Jesus. And the Word of God, often in the New Testament, is translated as the Word of Christ or the Word of the Gospel. You see that language because the message is the divinely authoritative, inspired message of God to bring life to your souls. And you got to take it up every day, every morning. You got to pray it on. You got to read it, study it, meditate on it. Let it be not a foot from your dresser drawer. And get your heart inside of it and let it get inside of you. This book's alive, it's the life giving spirit of God that breathes out this word and it ministers to our souls right where we need it most. And the satanic forces are always thwarted by the word of God and our apprehension of this word. And we're going to get better as we read it, to wield it, and to use it for the glory of God. Put on the breastplate of righteousness, verse 14 says. What does that mean? This is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We don't stand in our own righteousness, brothers and sisters. You don't stand in your own righteousness if you're a Christian. Our righteousness, apart from Jesus, is but filthy rags, the Bible says. But in Christ, we have been robed with the righteousness of the sinless Son of God who lived a perfect life and died on a cross bearing our sins upon Himself as a sacrificial lamb and a substitute that every single sin you've ever committed has been cleansed and washed and you are justified in the sight of God. And that needs to be on your chest, guarding your heart, because the devil's going to lie to you about who you are. He's going to lie to you about that redemption. He's going to lie to you about the righteousness you have in Christ. And you need to take it up. You need to remember it and believe it. 
We have been justified by faith. And we have peace with God. Romans 5.1 This is gospel armor. Take it up. We notice that we're to also ready ourselves by taking up the shoes of the gospel, right? The gospel of peace. The readiness of the gospel of peace. This is peace that you've come to know God. You experience the peace of God in your heart. You've been rescued. You're no longer at war with God, but you're at war with the devil and all the hordes of hell because the peace of God broke into your life. You are an enemy of God and he brought you near. He reconciled you by the blood of his son. While we were still enemies, Christ died for us to deliver us from the wrath of God. We're no longer enemies, but we're sons and daughters of the king if you've trusted in Jesus. And so the peace of God guards you, readies you, and you're ready. You can be a peacemaker in this world. And you can preach the gospel of peace to a people who are at war with God. And that is the business of fighting the spiritual battle that we're in. And above all things, take up the shield of faith. Isn't that what the text says? Above all things, in verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which is able to quench and extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. And you've got to imagine, the devil's just throwing stuff at you every day. Just little arrows set on fire by hell. And, and, and the images of arrows that have been dipped in pitch, lit on fire, and shot at the, 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 the Roman soldiers. And they had to have a shield that covered their whole body that was treated, and it would put out these flaming darts as it came. Otherwise, you, if you got set on fire in the battle, it was going to be a rough go. You'd have to toss your shield and you'd be totally susceptible. And we've got to trust in the Lord. And faith, ultimately, in the promises of God, the specific promises of God, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm an ever-present help in a time of need. I'm the light of the world. I'm the good shepherd. I'll bring you through the valley of the shadow of death and I'll be with you. These are the promises. We got to lay hold of promises when the, the darts come at us and behold them and remember them and think on them and combat the lies of the enemy with the promises of God. And you got to get specific. That means you need this book in your heart. You need the real promises of God from the scriptures to guard your soul. Take up the shield of faith and then take up the helmet of salvation. This is nothing other than the, the, the reality that you're saved. The assurance of salvation, knowing you're a child of God, knowing you've been saved really and truly. So many of us sometimes struggle with our assurance before God. And we've got verses that remind us that we need to take up these gospel realities and remind ourselves of who we are in Christ because if, if the Spirit of God is bearing witness with your spirit that you're a child of God, you've got to be assured of that when you're going to fight in this battle. Because if you don't really think God's for you, you're not going to live for Him. If you don't really think God's for you, you're not going to fight in the battle. You're going to get beat down. 
and discouraged. Take up the helmet of salvation. Put it on. Know who you are in Christ. And if you don't, deal with God today and get right with Him. Repent of your sin. Believe in His Son who can rescue you from your sins, your real sins, and give you a real hope and real help. Some of you are probably laboring in darkness and you need to be set free. And God is telling you through this passage, put on the helmet of salvation, believe on the Son, and He'll set you free. And if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. Don't labor under the lies of the evil one anymore. Come to the Son and He will set you free. And lastly, in verse 18, we see in this praying, it's not just taking up all the pieces of the armor, but we've got to be praying at all times. Notice it's praying at all times with all prayer and supplication. Praying in the Spirit to keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints. Huh. So we're to pray for all people, all the saints, all the time, with all perseverance. Don't give up in your praying. Persevere. Prayer is not a domestic intercom to ring your butler in heaven. But as John Piper said, it's a wartime instrument. It's a walkie-talkie in the middle of battle to call down cover fire for your brothers and sisters in Christ as they fight the good fight of faith. Oh, that we would pray like that. That you would just have a fire shooting in your bones. That you would plead before the throne of grace. God, do a work. Save sinners in our midst. And fill us with boldness that we might proclaim the mystery of the gospel, which is what Paul asked for. A holy boldness to proclaim the word. This is the life-giving word of God. This is the truth to us. Know your spiritual enemy. Now you've got a real enemy. Know the power of God to be strong in the Lord. And stand in this evil day, having put on the full armor of God, that you might be able to stand against the forces of darkness. And if you want to kind of remember the essential truths of this, I just thought of a kind of a mnemonic way to think about it. And it's just the acronym STAND. Number one, stand. Spiritual enemy. Know you have a spiritual enemy. Satan is real and he will get a foothold and he prowls like a roaring lion seeking to devour people, but resist him in the faith. Spiritual enemy. Number two, trust in the power of the Lord. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will trust in who? The name of the Lord our God. Amen. Number three, Armor of God. Put on the armor of God. You need every piece in this battle. So fully arm yourselves with this armor. Number four. And this is just kind of the composite of the whole of, of, of the armor. Nurture yourself in the gospel. Because that's just what the armor is. Meditate on the gospel. Memorize verses about the gospel. Think on it. Apply it to all of your life. 
Let the gospel come to bear in your soul and let it take deep root. Don't think it's the beginning and you got to go on from the gospel. Never get beyond the gospel. Keep preaching it to yourself. Lastly, so we've got stand, S-T-P, or sorry, S-T-A-N and then D, depend on God in prayer. Depend on God in prayer. Resolve to be a prayer warrior. Resolve to be a man of prayer, a woman of prayer, with a heart that just loves God and loves to intercede. Loves to come before the throne of grace with those four alls, right? All kinds of praying, praying for all kinds of Christians and all kinds of people, with all perseverance, with all supplication. Man, that's a recipe to become a prayer warrior. So, as we close to pray, maybe you're here today and you're just like, I finally awaken to the battle that I'm in. I finally realize that I need to stand in this fight. And if you're a Christian, that you would just be spurred on in that resolve to fight the good fight of faith. But if you don't know Christ, if you haven't trusted Jesus and the Spirit of God has awakened you to that reality today, do not delay. Put your trust in Him. Ask Him into your life. Ask for real forgiveness. Believe in the real promises that He went to a cross to die for your sins and He'll rescue you if you believe. We're going to pray. And I'm going to be praying for both kinds of people that the Lord would minister to us. So let's pray. Father, I pray that You would give us wartime mentality as we are in a spiritual battle, may we stand. May we hold on to these realities. And may we be strong in the Lord and in the power of your might. May you strengthen your people for battle. To be battle-ready, battle-tested Christians who are living, doing real warfare against a real enemy in real power that comes from Jesus and the gospel. And I pray that you would just breathe courage on your people breathe faith on your people breathe life on your people breathe hope on your people breathe an awakening to the reality that we're peeling back the layers here and seeing that there's a spiritual battle we're in the midst of and oh god that we would fight the good fight of faith and if you're in here today and you don't know jesus you haven't trusted jesus and your heart's probably pounding you've been convicted you've been realizing I've been blinded and the Lord has awakened me to these things. Would you pray? Would you come to the Lord and pray and ask, Lord, I believe I'm a sinner. I believe that I'm worthy of judgment, that my sins are, are having real consequences. But I believe that Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead triumphantly. I believe he died for my sins. Please forgive me of my sins. Rescue me. Send your spirit into my life. Help me to be strong in the Lord. Save me, O oh God, and make me new that I might stand in this battle, no longer an enemy of God, but a child of God who's been brought into the family of God. 
by Jesus, the good shepherd. Lord, would you do that work in my heart? And Lord, if, if you're doing that in somebody's heart, Lord, just encourage them, strengthen them, help them, and bring about real hope that we might stand in this evil day living for Christ, living for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.